Hi everyone, welcome to the 16th episode of the Slow Spin Society podcast. As always, I'm Fabian and today, as always, with Paul. Hi everyone. We're going to be talking about the history of the hour record, the probably the most well-known uh, track discipline in the world for all of us, or most of us at least. So we'll be talking about the history, the rule changes, the, the, the big names, the equipment, etc., but if you want to hear more about Mass Effect Remaster, other RPG games, winter bikepacking, and bivy bags, then you should listen to the pre-show, which you can access at patreon.com slowspinsocietypodcast, but more on that later. More on that later, indeed. And yeah, the hour record, which is also called like the purest of records in cycling, because it is like something super freaking hard, and yeah, there's a lot <laughs> to talk about. Yeah, so... The definition of the hour record is, is, I mean, the name gives most of the information away, but the hour record is, is the longest distance cycled in one hour on a bicycle from a stationary start. And this is only done on, so at least with the UCI version, the, the, the modern version since 1972, this is done in a velodrome with a track bike with no one else present. So it's just you, the bike, and the velodrome. Yeah. And, yeah. You, the bike... The weight of your bike, your weight, the wind, drag effect, like everything. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, like at least in with in yeah, there these will always, these are always done indoors at least. So there, <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, when I was saying it. wind, I was I was more. Uh, oh, like when you go fast, the wind through your hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like that. Yeah. Or through your helmet pants, but. <laughs> oh, <is> that? <laughs> but yeah, the the hour record is like. Um, it's also called like the race of truths because it is such a huge monument into cycling. And we're going to start with Eddie Merckx in 1972. Uh, there was a attempt before that and other records before that. But I guess when Eddie Merckx, uh, he set the benchmark in 72, it's good that we start there because if we start before, we can be there for like five hours and you guys are never going to see the end of that podcast. So let's start there. <laughs> yeah. As I was saying, we're going to start with Eddie Merck's record in 72. So 1972. Most of you already know the bike that he was using. Everything will be put in the show notes because we're going to discuss on some pictures and we have them in the show notes in front of, in front of us, but you guys don't. So it will be in the show notes on the website. So that orange bike uh, built with his friend uh, Ernesto Colnago was to be the lightest possible. And it was at the time because it was only 5.5 kilos in 72 for a steel bike, <laughs> which is pretty intense. Uh, so it was made out of Columbia's special record tubing. It has a custom Pinot Moroni, titanium stem, Cinelli's Campione del Mondo handlebars, and other components. But it was like full of tweaks, you know? Like we were talking a few weeks back about Drillium. Yeah. And I don't know if Drillium originated from there or before, but so much stuff on that bike was drilled. So handlebars, seat post, 
chain stays and each and individual chain links were drilled. Just imagine the work <laughs> into that to drill each and individual chain links. Uh, and yeah, that bike was also not meant to to go street riding or anything that would put a lot of pressure on it, not for sprinting or anything like that. Because the hour record is about having a steady amount of watts for an hour. So it's bikes that are not meant to take a lot of stress, I guess. Uh, ring and pedal cages were cut. Uh, Hobbs had hollow axles and smaller nuts, no dust caps, uh, the smallest amount of bar tape possible just at the very end of the drops, because I guess you don't, I mean, you're constantly in the most aero position possible. Uh, and for the wheel setup, the wheel setup was also pretty intense. So he had Fiamme Ergol rims, which at the time were 285 gram rim. Uh, as a comparison, an archetype, an H Wilson archetype is 480 grams today. That's light. And then he had zinc plated spokes and super thin Clement setup piston tubular tires that were meant to only last for a few hours on the track before losing pressure. They were, they were that thin. Yeah. That's pretty crazy if you think about all the work that went into it, but not just the work, but also all the risks he took. He must have had a lot of, a lot, a lot of faith in his bike. Yeah. Because cause I would never, I mean, he's not skidding or breaking or anything, but just drilling into, into the chains and the seat stays and everything. That's just, that's insane. It's by like, today's standards. Yeah. Eddie Merckx is just like, you're 9072 way weenie boy. <laughs> he's he like so it. into it yeah and yeah like and the, the end result is like a bike under five and a half kilos it's nothing for a steel frame yeah and of course now now there's all like the uci weight regulations and stuff so but this was all before then i suppose and most of half, i think even like half of this these things he did to the bike wouldn't be illegal anymore According to UCI, probably like yeah. We're gonna talk about UCI rules later, but yeah, yeah. I was surprised that he built uh, that bike with Ernesto Colnago, uh, and I never understood why some Colnagos had like an orange and blue paint like that Mercs before, and now I understand that uh, he had like uh, that Italian sponsor. And so at the time, that sponsor was like the orange and blue paint, asked them to do on the Vicarelli Velodrome. So he traveled there from Belgium to Italy. And fortunately, the weather was like just it was raining for days and they couldn't attempt anything. And so he went to Mexico. And in Mexico, you know that uh, the Velodrome is actually higher above sea level. So when you go higher, you have less air pressure, basically you have less draft, right? Editing pole here. Uh, what's up everyone? Editing pole again. <laughs> so yeah, I meant drag, uh, not draft. So the higher above sea level you go, the thinner the air is. And then 
yeah, the less air resistance you have. So yeah, I meant drag, not draft. My bad. See you. Yeah. So it's like you need to be less, I mean, you could be less aero or, pu or put less watts down since you have less draft. It's easier, but there's also less, less oxygen in the air. So yeah. he actually switched his ratio from 50 to 14 to 50 to 15 because it was just that much harder. So he had to like back up one T. And so this was at the velodrome in Mexico City, and that was at, what's the elevation? The elevation was either 2,300 meters or 7,500 feet, which is higher than it was in um, at the Vigorelli velodrome. Yeah. And that might have given him the edge as well. But yeah, like th these little minute details really take are, are taken into account, as you can see by him drilling everything and, and saving every gram. Yeah. So yeah, I think it all adds up in the end. Yeah, and so that year he set the benchmark with the hour record was 49.431 kilometers. So 49 kilometers in 1972 was like the where everything started, basically. Yeah, so that's 30.7 miles in one hour. For your fellow Americans. Which is nuts. 49 kilometers in one hour. Yeah, that, mm. that's already like, that's already a lot from my point of view. On the track pack, yeah. But let's see. Um, so yeah, uh, across the history of the hour record, there are three different versions that the UCI has slowly introduced. So the first version was with Eddie Merckx, where he could just do wherever, wherever he wanted, basically drilling everything using tubular tires that would fall apart after a few hours, etc., and that was in 1972, but then in 1997, the UCI changed the rules because, um, yeah, there was an increasing reliance on advanced bike technology and innovations that Eddie Merckx didn't have access to. So then people were trying all these different equipments like disc wheels and and uh, like uh, handlebar positions, etc., to beat the record. And then the UCI stepped in to kind of standardize everything. And in that case, the UCI made a distinction between a UCI record, which was using the similar or as similar as possible equipment as Eddie Merckx, so steel track bike and normal drop bars, um, yeah, drop bars and normal rims and everything, and they made a distinction between that, so that's the UCI record, and best human effort. And best human effort would allow people to use more advanced, yeah, more advanced um, equipment and innovative positions etc so but one rule that's that i think is the most well one of the most important things is is that they don't allow the the cyclist to have a bike computer to track time or distance because even though this is a massive like physical endeavor the hour record it's very very like mental challenge as well to keep going for one hour never knowing when that hour is finished never knowing if you're close or over the record or or just far away. And yeah. I think that's an insane thing to do for one hour as you're like really pushing the max you can for 60 minutes. Yeah, so. now they're allowed to, there's like a big display, you know, they're allowed to see yeah. uh, the time. But Ah, really? Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they're allowed to see the time, but they're basically always like the head looking down, you know, like in the bars. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if they actually look, but... 
I watched that interview and the guy was saying like, yeah, like the the last 10, five minutes are actually when you can lose it completely because it is so hard, you know, and you, you can't actually push more watts. We're going to talk a, no. a lot about watts today. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, they all say like the first 30 minutes is like a walk in a park. And then after that, it, it's just going through hell. Yeah. So like now, yeah, so this was, so 1972 is the first version of the hour record. That's with Eddie Merckx setting the, the record at 49.4 kilometers. And then in 1997, that's when the UCI changed it and made the, made the distinction between the UCI record. So using like Eddie Merckx type gear and the best human effort. And then in 2014, so fairly recently, the UCI, they created the unified record, but more on that in a bit. Um, so when Eddie Merckx did his, his first record, he was just using, as we, as we said before, a normal track bike and everything and, a, and no TT helmet, no disc or, or tri-spoke wheels or aero bars or, or anything. It's just a normal thing. And then the, in the best human effort, the most notable one, in my opinion, is Chris Boardman's uh, attempt where he made, where he achieved 56.3 kilometers. So seven kilometers more. But at that time he was using equipment that was now banned and we'll go on the, go more into that later as well yeah the chris boardman attempt because it's not a record anymore it's it's considered as an attempt right yeah with those 56.3 kilometers was like crazy and he was not using conventional hand position and conventional he was like all out into the new technologies right yeah and as today, it's still like the the highest dis distance, uh, even today, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it was like in in that time in the nineties when people in cycling was were trying everything like motocoque carbon frames and crazy positions like the uh, the Superman position. The Mantis position, we're going to talk about those later, but yeah, the the best human effort uh, who started with Francesca Mother, uh, they all tried with like crazy equipments. And it's one part that I really love about like cycling is when you see like those old 90s TT bikes where they're half carbon, half all their fibers you don't really know and they have like wacky three spokes and yeah i think it's one of my favorite time in cycling ever yeah <laughs> and um yeah i think in our one of our earlier episodes we also talked about like innovation in the bike industry and how the uci may might be like the uci rules are what uh, what is keeping bike innovation back as well because we don't see those type of innovations anymore really yeah well it's always when the UCI steps in to say, okay, uh, kids, you count down now with the, the crazy stuff. We're going to do like normal bikes now. And <laughs> it's, I mean, in, in, a, in a sense, it's good because it puts everybody on the same, you know, like same, same start line. But on the other side, it kind of stop innovation. Like, I mean, crazy innovation, right? If UCI set rules, then 
new innovation into those rules will start to will start to bloom. Yeah. But if you say if you set like no limits at all, like I don't know what kind of bikes we'd have today, but it would be crazy. Yeah, I think then it's also kind of like a risk of like the the countries who can really afford to put millions and millions into research, they will come out ahead than like the countries who cannot. Yeah. For example, and it, then so everyone can afford like well, like most countries can afford or all of them can afford like a steel track bike. So if it's all that simple, I guess it's also nice. It would be a lot of fun to see Fixie Boys in 2020 into like the Superman position in the middle of the street. <laughs> that, that'd be that'd be funny. I would like to see like random people that are in Fixed Gear community to try the hour records, see how far they can go. I, you know what? It's like when I research all that episode. I mean, when we research all that episode, uh, I kind of want to try. You know, just like not putting out like 100% performance and like the slick uh, suits and everything and uh, disc wheels, which I don't own and <laughs> everything, but just like try to to run the track for, for an hour. Uh, I think it'd be like a cool attempt and I'll probably do, I don't know, like 25 kilometers, but I'm, I'm no, like, I think I, <laughs> like, I think, I think if you just do like track bike, like normal steel track bike, let's say with drop bars and, I mean, not like arrow suit or anything, just like helmet and then like a bib. I think you, like most of us would be able to do like, like 20, yeah, like, like around 30 kilometers in one yeah. hour. I think that's pretty reasonable if it's indoors and everything. I'll 100% but, do it on TT bars though. Because oh, yeah. on TT bar, like, you know, like the watt gain on yeah, TT it's lot, bars, right? it's like so much bigger than having like super deep carbon rims. Yeah. And I forgot which website did this, but <clears throat> I think it was like cycling.com or something. But they did like a comparison of the watt gain for different hand positions on drop bars. So like one's on like on the hoods, one is on like the, the straight parts on top of the, the bars, one's in the drops. And then like there's also like arrow in the drops. And then the last one was with the arms like, you know, hanging over the front. Oh, yeah. Like, like yeah, TT yeah. position. And that's the one that saved the most, like 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 a significant amount, like 20% or something. Something crazy like that, and yeah, uh, I can imagine why you're much smaller, and it's crazy that crazy that how big of a difference the position makes yeah. compared to just the equipment. I would need someone pretty good to set them up, though, because if they are too low, you can't sustain the position for an entire hour, and then you're just gonna kill yourself. Also, it can like it's like harder to breathe if they're too low, and they it can yeah. even like restrict blood pressure. But if it's too high, there is not that much gain anymore. No. So to set those up, you would need someone that is pretty good into bike fits. Yeah. So I still want to do like a professional bike fit as well once once I have a certain bike, but yeah, yeah. I think I think. It seems really uncomfortable to be in TT position. And I would love to try it with like the bars, but I remember I saw this one video of like a professional TT race and the person was on the TT bar, it's like carbon, of course, <laughs> hits a small bump and they crack. Oh yeah, just, like, I remember that video too. That seems, that seems like so scary. Like you really put all your trust into those bars. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not that much different from like regular drop bars. You put all your trust in the stem, but maybe yeah. it's just more of a carbon thing then. I don't know, but it seems scary. 
So I'd like to try. Yeah, true. I mean, the, the, those are scary because like now all your weight is in the front. Yeah. But I guess if you're just on the velodrome, there's not that much like pebbles or rocks in your way. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you would hope not. I mean. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, for getting like a professional bike fit, just go to your closest specialized shop and bring over your three kilo mesh work and say, hey, can I have a bike fit? <laughs> just, just say you want to buy the new specialized Athos and then they give you bike fit and then you just go home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, gonna think about it. See ya. <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah that, that'd, be, that'd be funny. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna look into getting like a professional bike fit too. Uh, we'll see. We'll see that later. But I think I might have an opportunity to do one uh, in a in a few months. So if that goes well, I should get a bike fit, and then I can go around the track in the best aero position possible. Well, like yeah, I mean, it's not just for <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also just nice for like every for everything, right? Yeah. Snowing. I mean, I know my average bike fit. Uh, riding on different bikes and buying selling bikes sometimes you know like mm. how high your cell should be and how long your stem should be based on how long your top tube is but I've never oh, done like something like super pro where okay this is your seat angle and this is like your crank arm lens blah blah no I've never done that I don't know any of that I don't even know like the seat length and shit I just do it by feeling <laughs> Okay, that feels great. Later. <laughs> but yeah, let's see. Yeah. So, as Fabian told before, uh, so you had like the UCI standard record and then the best human effort. And in 2014, uh, UCI actually thought about it a little bit more and was like, yeah, maybe we can't force people to use tail bikes and drop bars nonstop for the next decades. So we're going to do something different. And they created the unified record. So it's a mix of those two classifications. Uh, but they are in line with the actual regulation of track person bikes. So they can use carbon frames, uh, monocoques. They can use TT bars uh, and everything, right? So records that were previously removed from Chris Broadman or Grammy, Grammy Aubrey. Uh, I am also butchering that name, but sorry. So those records were returned. But however, the, the benchmark would still remain at 49.7 kilometers set in 2005 by Andrej Sosenka. <laughs> um, but even though it was not the farther distance that was um, the guy using, using the, the bike um, was the regulate like in line with the new unified record regulations right yeah so the unified record is what we have today and the unified record it's basically the new hour record and people can use new technology as long as it is as it is in line with the UCI standards and UCI weight limit and all that stuff. So that's why you see like new aero bikes with disc wheels and TT bars and all that stuff, but no more crazy position uh, like we're going to talk later. Yeah. 
I actually had one question uh, that I couldn't answer on my own, and I wanted your I wanted your take on this. Okay. So let's say in I don't know twenty years, that one cyclist is like super good, way above average, and is just like a master in time trial, and he does the hour record, but with almost the exact same equipment as Eddie Merckx and bits it. Okay. Does it still record as our record or unified record or whatever? Or does it goes into a different category because he is not using everything that he could use right now? That's a good question. I think it would go... I don't think it would even be recorded maybe as like a... Because I think to be recorded, it would have to already be like a, like a special event. And like if the guy's just doing it, then I don't think they would record it as anything. Hmm. Yeah. Like, because Eddie Merckx, he, what he did was like, it was like, an, it was like a real event. So he wasn't just, okay, I'll turn the cycle for one hour. And then people saw it and then said, okay, well, let's make that into an event. <laughs> but, Man, that's pretty yeah. rad. <laughs> Here, let's make an award. Let's make it uh, like a discipline just to give you an award. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like it's always changing, right? Still, UCI, like yeah. like this this entire discipline is almost is over. Yeah, I think almost two hundred years old, and they're still changing the rules. Oh, well, UCI has been around for what hundred years now. I don't know, but pretty long well, now. Yeah, so like Eddie Murray was nineteen seventy two. That's almost fifty years ago. And they're still changing the rules in 2014. Yeah. Do you think they're going to change the rules again if, like, technology still goes on and we have new stuff and they will have to change to change it again? Or do you think, like, the actual regulation are strong enough that it might be okay? I mean, I think as long as, like, the fundamental part of the cycling discipline is the same. So, like, you cycle one hour, so one hour stays the same. One gear stays the same. You pedal, that stays the same. I don't know how much else they can change. Because if they keep the hand positions the same, and maybe they say, like, the wheels, you cannot have, like... Anti-gravity wheels. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, it's like, like, it, like I mean, they can, they, of course, no, no motorized parts or anything, but I don't really know what else that can be changed there. Like, yeah. you, can, you, have to be, you have to be sitting, it has to be an upright bike, so you cannot be in, like, one of those where you lay down, for example. Yeah. I think that's also... I mean, there's the para... There's the para... Um, the Paralympics, the hour record, which is also cool. Yeah. But yeah, for, the no, for like, the, the regular um, one hour. I don't, know, I don't really know what else could be changed in the cycling industry. Yeah. So, to sum it up, uh, Eddie Merckx, 49.4... Then Chris Brodman, 49.44. Then Odrej Sosenka, 49.7 in 2005. That's the official UCI record. And from there, we had like the unified record. And the best human effort, top class. So from Francisco Mother to Chris Brodman with a non-UCO legal bike up to like 56 kilometer, which is insane yeah so like the the difference between the eddie Merckx record and the chris uh chris broadman record the uci records like the yeah the uci record difference was 20 meters 10 meters 10 meters chris broadman 
uh, cycled further than than Eddie Merckx. Dude, ten meters. That was what, like, thirty years later. Yeah, ten <laughs> meters. And, 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 and like, I guess between that, there's a lot of tents. Yeah, and not just that, but like ten, thirty years later, there's all of like the research done in like nutrition, how to train the muscle groups, all of that. And still, it took 30 years to beat Merckx by 10 meters. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Merckx is crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so to go on to the main figures in the event. So as we said millions of times so far, Eddie Merckx is probably the most well-known. And then followed by that, Francesco Moser from Italy. So Eddie Merckx from Belgium, Francesco Moser from Italy. And Moser beat uh, Merckx's record 12 years later in 1984 with 51.151 kilometers or, or 31.7 miles. So this was before the whole distinctions between unified and uh, best human effort, etc. So back then, this is when um, yeah Moser beat uh, Merckx. And this was the first recorded use of disc wheels on the track. So this is also already shows the, the innovation in the cycling industry maybe helping uh, Moser beat Merckx. And yeah, this was like later moved into the best human effort by the UCI in 1997. It's another 13 years later because of the use of disc wheels. But at the time, Merckx's reaction to Moser's, uh, Moser beating him was, for the first time in history of the hour record, a weaker man has beaten a stronger man. Oh my god. <laughs> so those, those Dude, are really strong words. That <laughs> burns sick. Fuck. That's really like, you know, that would make... Yeah, imagine if the guy says that to you and then you're like, imagine he says that to you and you beat him just because he says that to you just because he had disc wheels. But in, in if you like somehow analyze it now that the disc wheels didn't really help much and you beat him fair and square, you cannot really say that anymore because you used the, the, the wheels. Yeah, man. So, and I think and like uh, mother's will, <laughs> mother's will, <laughs> your mother's wheels. Uh, mother's wheels at the time uh, were like super heavy so like pretty hard to get into to get them to rotate but then when you launch baby you go and you never stop you know you have that inertia from like those pretty heavy wheels but yeah and like uh, mother he also tried I think like he made an attempt or one of his writer made an attempt was like a gigantic wheel uh, uh, was was like twice the size of a normal wheel. Have you ever seen that pic? I don't think so. No. Uh, but like they had to like custom made a tubular tire because that wheel is so big. I'll put a picture in the show notes if if I can ever find it. But the wheel is basically like I don't know. It was probably like one meter in diameter, even more. Oh my god! But. So that, that's something that the UCI could also like lock down, like only 700C uh, wheels. So no, no like 650B in the front and 7 in the back or like anything like that. So that's, yeah, well, that's one thing that yeah. can, that can maybe stay the same. Even, yeah, because the, the van uh, front smaller wheels pretty early on, I think the, the UCI. Mm. And I mean, 700 650 was aggressive but if you look at it today you're like okay it's it's really aggressive it looks a little bit funny but okay but then people put like 24 inch wheels in the front and it just looks dumb as shit you know 
but it was, I guess, more aggressive and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, that's one of the things that, I mean, it's cool to see, of course, but I think that's also one of the things that is pretty easy to like prevent now in the future Yeah. for UCI. One other noticeable writer was Graeme Aubrey from Scotland. And so he was the pioneer of the unique tuck position. So the praying mantis thing it was the arm resting underneath, underneath the chest, which is now completely banned by the UCI, of course. So at the time, he did like 51.59 kilometers, so bidding mother's record uh, in 93. That position is also crazy, and you can see that guy was like, he's like, like an egg, basically like a, yeah. an, an egg on his bike and with his two three spokes wheels and that super weird frame. But that guy was so intelligent. Like he was so into like aero is everything, you know, like aero overweight all day long and aero will make the difference, which is true. But yeah, that position just looks pretty yeah. dumb, but also crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it looks dumb but also crazy uncomfortable to be like that for an hour yeah i mean all positions look uncomfortable but specific but particularly particularly that one yeah and i, ju <laughs> I just i mean because your arms are so tucked underneath your chest you know like you so contract i don't know how you breathe well into that position you know yeah you don't try but <laughs> But yeah, I guess arrow over everything. So yeah, he bids the the record in in ninety three, and that that was something. On the complete mm. other side of the spectrum, Chris Rodman, so UK rider, was the ultimate record, which is now banned. But uh, fifty six on thirty seven kilometers, which is like thirty five miles in ninety six, on a modified lotus uh 110 which is like the updated version of the lotus 18 uh and has like the absolute record right it was like for 56 kilometers uh he used the superman position which is like so you have the mantis position where you're all tucked together and then the superman position when you're like leaning so much forward just imagine TT bars, but I don't know, like 30 centimeters further. Yeah. And you just like, yeah, like crazy position, super arrow. And yeah, it's just, he was using like a, that crazy Lotus frame that had, that has no down tube with a Mavic disc on the rear and a five spoke in the front. Mm. And holy shit, that position also looks mad as hell. Fucking crazy. Yeah, these like these people like 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 Aubrey and Chris Boardman and and who else? Yeah, just like the ones innovating, like being innovative with the hand positions and the yeah, Mercs too and the gear use is really like stunning how they really just they're willing to take any risk possible yeah. to get the record. Because I mean for sure they don't i mean actually maybe not for sure but i wonder how many times they must have tested like these things to know that they wouldn't fall apart halfway through or that you know yeah like cause 
I mean, I, w- I would not drill into any part of my bike and expect it to, to <laughs> not suddenly, suddenly eat me alive or something, you know? But, but, but I it, guess it was also at a time where, uh, I mean, bikes, uh, sorry, a cat simulation was, even in the 90s, it was still, like, well underdeveloped. Yeah. So kind of the only way you could try if something works was by actually doing it. And yeah. yeah, those people, I mean, it was worth the risk if the UCI, I mean, Eddie Merckx is like one of the absolute main figure in cycling today. Uh, if you didn't know, he, he also have his own bike brand. Huh, crazy. I know. Uh, <laughs> but also like Chris Roman, like those people, they, they were willing to, to, to take the risk and to go discover new things into cycling. And I mean, I would not. If like my coach was like, yeah, dude, you should, you should try those new handlebars. Uh, and, try a, before. <laughs> and you take a look at them and they look that they're going to stab you if you make any mistake. I, I would be like, nah, I don't think so. Yeah. I think like that's exactly the thing. Like these people, they want to be the best in the world, and like to be the best in the world in anything like that requires effort. Like this, you really do have to to do what it takes, take any risk possible, etc. And that's why they're the best in the world, right? For the for that reason. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's why also I'm not the best in the world because I wouldn't do this shit for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But damn, and we're gonna we're gonna also link like the the picture of Chris into into the show notes. But that Lotus bikes looks hella cool. I mean, yeah, yeah, it just yeah, it just looks so flush, you know. Yeah. So like all of these these big names like Aubrey, Murph, Moser, Boardman. I'm probably forgetting someone. Uh yeah, who's who's that last person? Um, uh, Sosenka. Yeah, Sosenka. So these are like the big names so far, but now, as of 2019, there's a new world record, and so the first world record, as we all know, is Eddie Merckx from Belgium, and then there was it- Italy, there's the UK, etc. And now there's a new world record by Victor Campanerts of also of Belgium. So this is full circle. Yeah, bringing so, back to the French fries country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> French fries country. You see, if you say French fries in Belgium, man, it'll fuck you up. <laughs> okay, French fries and beer. <laughs> just fries, just fries. Just fries, okay. <laughs> but yeah, so Victor Campanets of Belgium, he, he beat the world record with 55.089 kilometers in one hour using a Ridley pursuit, uh, per, yeah, Ridley track bike, arrow bars, and two disc wheels. And he did this on the 19th of April, 2019, at the, I'm going to fuck this up, Agua Scalientes Bicentenary Velodrome in Mexico. It's so pretty good, it's pretty well. good. <laughs> <laughs> so Mexico as well as Eddie Works, and he beat the record. And the previous record was held by Bradley Wiggins from the UK, and he beat Bradley Wiggins' Wiggins's, uh, record by 563 meters. So since 2015, there is no record that went above 54 kilometers uh, for the hour record. So Bradley Wiggins was the, the previous one, and now 
the new record is 55.089. And yeah. There have been attempts, there have been numerous attempts since Bradley Wiggins in 2015, uh, up to now, but no one has gone above 54 kilometers. Yeah. Have you have you seen the stream? Because there is a, a YouTube video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and so cool. If you go to the end, so he beats the record, and then he he does a number of laps to just like calm down, I guess. Yeah. And try to get out of his zone, but he gets out of the bike and he's just like zoning out in a in a chair. You know, you can yeah. see in his eyes he's in another world. He's not there. <laughs> like in the video he's like drinking like a like a cold can of coke and i can only imagine how nice that must have been <laughs> like all that sugar and everything oh man but yeah like he even like shaved his head and everything and you can see from like on in the interview like on his forehead you could see like the red spots from the helmet and everything like everything about this just seems so uncomfortable and so epic at the same time <laughs> and then like just like five minutes after breaking the world record people the people start interviewing him yeah and I, I wouldn't be able to do that either no i wouldn't be either because you, no. you just put like the biggest effort of your life and the biggest human effort in cycling and people and then are they like come up to you. how does it feel like <laughs> yeah how do you like your steak rare or medium rare <laughs> like, like shut the fuck up <laughs> But yeah, so the bike he used is the Ridley Arena Hour record. Very, very nice looking bike. Oh, and, yeah. But the most striking part, I think, for me is 330 millimeter custom handlebars, so TT bars, specifically made and molded to his forearms. So these were like made to have like perfect or as much comfort as, as one can have during an event like this. And then, of course, like the double disc wheels, Campanula drivetrain. Uh, like special arrow paint i don't even know what the hell that means arrow paint is that, is, is it, it's I red bikes so maybe red goes faster Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and he used a ratio of 55 14 which is 3.92 so 1947 a carbon ratio i think that's around 2.7 or so yeah so, so this is quite quite a chunk higher and doing this for an hour so of course we don't have the numbers because they are not allowed to have a, a bike computer, right? But people estimated that he was putting down 540, 550 watts for an entire hour. Just imagine putting that number of watts for an entire hour. That is, that's insane. That's a lot of watts. <laughs> but yeah, like the, the full Campagnolo Ghibli wheels looks awesome. The bike looks great. It, it's just like it kind of looks like a, a SpaceX things, you know. Yeah, definitely, and yeah, but I cannot imagine. Like sometimes when I'm just like cycling, I'm like, okay, let's sprint now, just to, just to see how fast I can go, and like it's like like fifty, fifty five or something, like at at the best, you know. And I can do that for maybe like a few seconds, like two, three seconds, and then these guys are doing that for an hour. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's unimaginable how that's how they can do that for like sometimes i'm like thinking i'm like okay down to three minutes and i look at like the seconds going down one two three and a minute is really really long if you do it like that and then doing that 60 times while your legs are burning your your mind is burning everything's burning yeah <sighs> man i'm gonna correct myself real quick here it was not 500 it was 440 50 watts ah. 
Okay. Which is already a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so yeah. yeah. So um, fuck. So Victor Confinart just broke like the fifty-five kilometers barrier, which is yeah crazy. The the real question now is will like I'm pretty sure we'll never see that in my life because it's too short. <laughs> but uh, the the sixty kilometers barrier. Do you think it's possible? Because I mean, sixty kilometers an hour for a bike rider is if you if you say it like this, like. Oh, dude, like my last ride, I was in a downhill and did like 60Ks an hour. It sounds, yeah, of course. But 60 kilometers an hour when you have like no tailwind or no downhill, it's just you, the bike, and your muscles. It sounds insane. Yeah, like, I mean, so Eddie Merckx in 1972, he did like 49.4 or something, 49.7 kilometers. And then Chris Boardman with all the special shit, he did 56. So that's, I think it was more or less seven kilometers more. And right now it's 55 kilometers and to get to 60 is another five. But I think we're already already at that peak of like bike, I mean, not bike innovation, but like what can be done on a track bike to yeah. make it go faster. Like how... I mean, I'm, I don't know, because, you know, like, the, it's the same with the marathon, the 54-kilometer marathon. Like, people thought for the longest time you cannot do it in less than two hours. Yeah. And, it, and the, the world record holder, I think he's from, from Kenya. And everyone in, like, most marathon, uh, like, record holders and everything, winners or whatever, they're all from that same area in Kenya. And people think it's because of, like, the air quality there or the... the the, the genes yeah the, the genes the elevation etc and i think in the end it might, might just depend on like for that one special person yeah to have the perfect day to have the perfect legs on that day but i think it's just really like a really tiny chance because it will happen anytime soon or anything but you know. yeah to attempt that kind of that kind of thing you already need to be special so you like some things can't just can't be achieved through training because you already need like a vo2 max that is crazy high like in the in the 70s uh vo2 max is the amount of oxygen uh i think is the amount of oxygen that uh, your tissues can store uh for defined amount of time yeah uh but i mean that's something that you can train to a certain extent, but either you're born with it or you don't. So already take yep. someone that is pretty special. Definitely. And so there is, first there is the writer, right? So the writer to it, to some extent can be improved, but then there is the track and there is the bike. And there is, yeah, the location of all of that. So, you know that uh, most of those attempts were made on wooden tracks because they just roll better than uh, concrete tracks. But maybe in the future, we'll see like a different kind of wood that has less rolling resistance. 
that happened yeah. before. I think there's a, a track in Border Friends that used like exotic wood was like super thin rolling resistance, but now it's like banned because you can't use that wood anymore because it's rare or something. Um, mm. And then like there is the track location. So the more you go in altitude, uh, the less air resistance you have, like the air is less dense, is thinner. So you have less resistance, but on the other side, you have less oxygen to work with. The trade-off usually is in your favor because if you do training with that amount of air pressure, you can get through it. But I don't know, maybe some sometimes in the future we'll see like a, a velodrome that is built higher than the the one right now in Mexico or the highest one, whatever it might be. Um, and yeah, the, the next thing is bikes, right? I mean, yeah. innovation, I don't know, like new bearings with less resistance or new aero features. You, you remember the new Lotus bike? Yeah. It was like the super the wide one, fork. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. If, that's UCI legal, right? Yeah, that's for the next Olympics, I think. Yeah, I don't know if that could do something. I don't know. But I think it's also, like like I said before, it's a really big mental activity too. So I think it's just also, if you do everything right, you train for a year, eat perfectly, have the perfect bike, it just comes down on the day and how you're feeling. Yeah. Like if, if you, because if you already come into it thinking like, oh, it's going to be an hour, it's going to be difficult, I, I don't know if I can do it, like doubting yourself, then you're already <laughs> lost yeah but yeah it's also like having that perfect like inner inner zen or something like everything's going right but yeah like yeah what would you think if if you had if you were like a top athlete and tomorrow is your chance to change history what would you what would be your state of mind i mean for me now i would be saying like damn i'd be excited or like I'd be a bit nervous or, you know, like like a bit of everything. But I think if you're at that level, you're, everyone at that level is super confident in their abilities. Like, mm. So I, I would I would be like, like if I was going to, if I'm thinking like how I would be reacting, I would probably be, be excited and nervous at the same time, you know, and like not, you're not sure, oh, it looks tough or I'll, I'll manage or I'll, you know, but I think these people, they're like, I've trained, I can do this, I'll do it. Yeah. And then, then they do it. Just think about that after right pizza waiting for you <laughs> in the middle of the track. <laughs> like the after right, the cold shower, the nice cold coke. Damn, I'm already Yeah, I'd be thinking of like I wonder if they if they if they really if they actually feel the thirst or the hunger while they're doing this, or if it's just like focusing on everything else. I don't know because as a personal experience, it happens to me. It happened to me once that I was riding around the track and my coach told me to do like 50 laps. And I was like, 50 laps, damn. And so I go, I go around and at some point, man, you're just in the zone, you know? And yeah. you're not thinking about anything. You're not really feeling anything. Of course, I was not outputting uh, 100% of my, of my, of what I do, right? Yeah. Uh, but... I don't know. I, I heard in that interview that that was the, the secret for the hour record that you have like your max level, right? 
your yeah. absolute best performance. And you need to be just under that. But really, like it can be like one or two watts difference, like half a percent of power difference. But you need to be just under that and to have the same output during the same hour. Like there's no final sprint because there is nothing left at the end, you know? Mm. And if you can sprint at the end of the hour record, it means like you haven't put everything down. No. So that's like really about pacing then, right? Yeah. So, I mean, mentally, it must be like one hell of a mental game. Yeah. I'm kind of like wondering if these... Because I think everyone has seen the picture of like the Buddhist monk in Vietnam setting himself on fire, right? Yeah. yeah. And I wonder like to what extent if, if any of these these athletes have tried like some like meditation or spirit spirituality just to like more or less ignore the pain, ignore mm. the limits. Yeah. Because it can be done. I mean, it can be done for the monk who was sitting still, not doing anything. I don't know if it can be done for cyclists actually doing something uh, that, that takes a lot of effort, but it'd be interesting to see if, yeah, if someone can like perfect it or something. Maybe it's the next step, you know? Yeah. Just meditating where you're just retaining your, your legs and... Yeah. In the end, it's not that much like... I don't think there's much that goes into thinking about like the route or anything. You just every every round is the same. There's no left, right or anything. Nothing changes. Yeah. Just you and the, the velodrome. But I mean, I also read like of these cases. I don't know. Sometimes sometimes you see in the news like a tw- 25-year-old, 30-year-old mom or whatever. It's like a mom lifts car to save baby. Yeah. Like superhuman strength. And I read about that and it's like, I, someone correct me of this, but I'm, I'm, it's been a while. But I think I read somewhere that the brain has like its own like inhibitors to prevent the person from using all of their power because if they use all of the power or all of their strength or all of their whatever, they will injure themselves. But in the case where there's like a mother trying to save a, a, their baby from, from underneath the car, those inhibitors, those blocking mechanisms, they just disappear for a second and the woman is able to lift a car she would never be able to lift normally. But that's really then like, like a life or death situations i don't think i don't know if an athlete can like do that whenever he whenever he or she wants to for a world record but yeah it's just the the body can do crazy things that would be a dangerous game you know to train yourself to ignore those inhibitors yeah and then use it as your advantage and go around the track breaking records but you can have like you're definitely paying a price on your body at the end yeah yeah so yeah definitely yeah that could be a dangerous game pushing like the 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 sports forward but having definitely a toll on your body and on the riders practicing it that's why like one of the um, the world record holders i keep forgetting his name it's not the scottish guy not the italian guy not the belgians what (sighs) sisala wait i have it here so senka Slosenka, I th- I'm pretty sure I read that he was disqualified because he was doping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. He, like three times or something. So now I'm just like curious, like what if there were like UCI records or Olympic records where they allowed like everyone to just fucking dope, do all the drugs <laughs> they want, see how see how crazy, what crazy records they can set. 
Oh sure, do do like um, cocaine before the race. See if you can do eighty kilometers an hour or something <laughs> dumb like that, just to see. Oh man, that'd be interesting. Same with like you know like gorillas. You see how big they are, like muscular and shit. Yeah. Imagine if you train them like like professionally, like in the gym and nutrition, how big they would be. Oh man. <laughs> these King these things style. I think about sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so 60 kilometers per hour, let's see. Yeah, let's see. I mean, man, I hope I see like another world-breaking record in my lifetime, but yeah, I, I definitely want, I mean, those those research made me want to try it as my level and yeah, just like try it, put some TT bars on and say, just let's go for an hour and let's see what I can do. Yeah. I'd be down for that. <laughs> all right uh i guess this is pretty much all we have time for today pretty good episode if you ask me like it was really interesting to do research on that and yeah a lot we, we talked about a lot and of course everything we discussed today will be in the show notes on the blog slowspinsociety.com you can find us on our discord server the invite link is also in the show notes uh, you can also send us an email at this address, slowspinpodcast at gmail.com. An email is really appreciated if you have like new ideas for like episodes or I don't know, like ha- ways to improve the show. Uh, we're really looking for that at the moment because, I mean, we're trying to, to get the show bigger. And yeah, every comment is appreciated. Productive ones, of course. Uh, you can also yeah. find us on our personal Instagram accounts. I go at underscore Paul underscore you and at fab.ism. Sharing the podcast with your friend is the easiest way to support the show or by giving us a good review on the platform of your choice. If you get value out of the show, why not consider putting value back in or by visiting our Patreon page, patreon.com slash podcast to join the community where pledging at any level will grant you access to the pre and after show, which is around 40 minutes of extra content per week. We are now at 15 Patreons, bringing us even closer to our monthly goal and more privileges for every tier. Thank you so much for your support. The music for the show is Loveless Winter by Amaria, and the illustration is by Atchaliajo on Instagram. Good show. Yes. Yes. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. And yeah, let's see what you can do in an hour. (laughs) 